You're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, and I'm your host, Brett Fisher. I'm a cloud-native DevOps course creator, consultant, and manager of this growing community on cloud-native DevOps. This podcast is an edited-down, audio-only version of my YouTube live show, which airs on Thursdays at brett.live. This podcast and all the free stuff I create is made possible by my supporting members. Thank you all so much for your continued patronage. There are well over 100 of you buying me a coffee every month, which makes that just 1% of the people that read, watch, or listen to this content every month. I'm hoping we can double that to 2% this year. And as they say, membership has its privileges. So you can find out how to support this show, my cloud native training, and our DevOps community at brettfisher.com. In this episode, Project Calico's Thomas Ruby from Tigera joins as we dig into Calico CNI features for Kubernetes and more. As Thomas and I discuss, Calico can be used in a lot of places, including Linux, Windows, containers, bare metal, eBPF, or IP tables mode. And many of us have learned about it through the Kubernetes CNI program. And it can be used for Kubernetes networking, networking policy, and a lot more. So I wanted to learn more about the project, and I found their booth at KubeCon in Detroit last year and invited them on the show. So please enjoy this episode with Thomas Ruby of Tigera. Hello, I'm Brett. Welcome to the show. We're here to talk about Calico. So I want to bring on the show, Thomas Irby. I actually don't know where you're calling in from, but he's a senior software engineer at Tigera. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, hello everyone. Thanks for having me. I'm joining from I'm joining from Vancouver in Canada. So now that my sunshine is in Tampa, oh, nice. Florida. Nice. <laughs> so you're at least on my side of the ponds. We're not going under the water to chit chat. Right. I just have morning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not even the lunch yet. <laughs> so you said you went skiing yesterday, is that right? Yeah, I've been skiing before, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I was chatting all day. You were out skiing. So we're a little, we may be between the two of us. We're hopefully going to come together in the middle and have some good stuff for everyone today. I'm just hoping I don't lose my voice. I've got my proper tea to help with my throat and I might have to turn this show over to you for, you know, and halfway through if it doesn't make it. So we're going to jump in. We're going to, we're going to talk real quick about what this is. Maybe some of the background on Thomas and how he got involved with this project. And you probably have heard of it. It's one of the major CNIs and does a lot more than that. We're going to talk about that, but for Kubernetes and beyond Kubernetes. So we're going to get into that. And that's a theme on this show is all the things you can do on Kubernetes. So if you're first timer, just basically, we could have called this show the CNCF hour because it's essentially talking about all the cloud native stuff today, all the distributed computing server stuff. So that's the focus here. So Thomas, you've been with the, the team for a while. How did you get started? How, why did you uh, get started with Project Calico? Yeah, uh, Tiger was opening an office in Vancouver and they were looking for people and I got excited. They were talking about all the security, about all networking. I've been in networking before. They were talking about eBPF, which was pretty cool at the time. It's still cool. And I just got hooked and I joined and I'm enjoying my time with Tiger ever since. Nice. The project lives on GitHub. It's called Project Calico. And one of the things that I was learning is basically some of the different versions. And so we're going to get into all the differences today a little bit, not all of them, but we're going to talk a little bit about the different, the open source, the enterprise options, the cloud options. And this is a pretty common thing. So if you're someone who's just now adopting Kubernetes, often what you'll find is a lot of these projects will have an open source version you can get on GitHub. You can download it. You could probably deploy with a Helm chart. I'm actually just guessing. We'll talk about that. And then 
There's often a cloud version or a SaaS offering so that you can just not have to worry about it and let someone else run it for you. And then you sort of learn how to build up your stack of tools. And this is definitely one of those tools I would consider. So do you have sort of, not that you're in marketing or anything, but do you have sort of an elevator pitch for why you'd want to add Calico to your distributed computing as well as to Kubernetes? Well, security, security is prime, right? So uh, Kubernetes doesn't provide you with uh, much security right off the bat. So you need to add something like Kubernetes have uh, network policies, for instance, but you need someone to implement it. And Calico is well-established. Calico is been here for years. It's very well-tested and mm -hmm. know it. There's a big user base. So that's one reason why to go with Calico. There are other options, but Calico is one of the best. Yeah, I mean, I actually, just in prepping for this show, because I have not had a chance to use it in production, so I didn't really understand the full breadth of feature set, but I didn't have enough time to actually learn about everything that it does. So my understanding was originally, when I first came to it and saw the open source project and kind of looked around, was that it was primarily a CNI, a networking option for multi-node Kubernetes clusters, I think it did network policy, but am I correct in that? And what else are the major things that I can do beyond just adding networking to Kubernetes? Yeah, the networking part is one small part. Calico has its own CNI, which is a plugin that allows you to do networking in Kubernetes, right? If you step back a little bit, Kubernetes don't have networking on its own, right? Someone has to provide it. So Calico provides that module, but it provides much more. It can actually run in Kubernetes, like AKS, EKS, that's the, uh, that's the Azure version of Kubernetes and managed uh, AWS and whatnot with their own CNI and do the good stuff on top of it. And the primary good stuff on top of it is the network policies and providing the security. So we are not even dependent on our own CNI per se, we can live in other environments. And that's kind of the cool thing about Calico is that it's very flexible. It can it can operate pretty much wherever. We even run on like Linux and we run on Windows. So if you have a mix of nodes and a mix of environment, I can provide you with the security there too. Was the Calico project pre-Kubernetes? Was it around before Kubernetes? Or was it sort of inspired by containers? I don't actually remember the origin of it. It was definitely pre-Kubernetes, and I'm, I've joined Tigera only after Kubernetes became a thing, but Project Calico was here before. It did work on bare metal. So it was from, from the very beginning, it was designed in such a way you can always put in a plugin so that it works in your environment. Obviously now, because Kubernetes is cool, we are so focused on Kubernetes, sure. and everybody is going with Kubernetes rather than doing all the manual labor of setting up things and orchestration on their own. But there are use cases for that. Yeah, and you know, Kubernetes is obviously, it takes all the oxygen out of the room. I mean, I was just at a, essentially a Kubernetes conference and you know, everything there is somehow related to Kubernetes. And we were actually, there's some of us there that had been around for 10 years in the container space and were, you know, early Docker adopters and Something that we're going to talk about in a future show, not related to this, but Docker just released their first major version in three years, version 23. And so we're going to have a show just to talk all about that. But it was interesting to talk again about Docker because it was really what got Kubernetes started. It was really the reason that Kubernetes existed. And we all kind of got distracted for a while with all of these things we can do on top of Kubernetes. And we can just start stacking our tool sets 
and creating what I just call stacks that are sort of bespoke, right? With Kubernetes and Calico and this thing and that thing. And then that's how you deploy your own Kubernetes and someone else does it completely different with a different recipe. But it was kind of fun at this conference because we got to go a little bit back to the origin and talk about Docker for a while because it's got new stuff, it's got new features, and now it's doing new things with builds and stuff. So it was good to talk about the old days for a second, especially those of us that have a little gray in our beard. So my understanding is, okay, Project Calico, it's on GitHub if someone wants to look at the open source. It's at github.com slash Project Calico. So for anyone who wants to check out the open source, there's probably, I haven't checked, but in the Calico repo, I'm just gonna guess it's the standard deal where there's probably install instructions, That's right. links to the documentation, on maybe the Helm chart or other ways you can install it. And then after that, people are starting to use the open source. The open source, what oh, you were telling me earlier, the open source is command line driven. Is that my understanding? Yeah, that's right. Project Calico doesn't provide UI, the open source version, but we have UI for the enterprise versions, which we probably will talk about later. But the one thing I wanted to also point out is that there's this Project Calico and there's this company, Tigero, which I work for. And we kind of maintaining the project. So some, lots of the resources you can also find at the tigera.io and not just <clears> at the GitHub. So there's lots of documentation. If you want to explore, go to our company website, which is going to provide like a ton of, ton of documentation. And of course, we always get the competitive question, right? There's lots of players in, all, in the Kubernetes space, and we've all seen the landscape diagrams and, and searching. So what are some of the things that makes Calico unique? Yeah, I think the flexibility, the fact that it kind of works anywhere, you can go way beyond Kubernetes. Like if you want to run it on bare metal things, you don't even need to have pods and that stuff, right? It's kind of just install it. Maybe it's going to be difficult, but you can use it to secure much more than Kubernetes, even though we are really focused on Kubernetes at the moment, like 90% of our focus is on Kubernetes at this time. And as I said before, is one of the few projects where you can actually use different data planes. So in Kubernetes, the standard thing is that you have Linux, right? But if you have Windows servers, Calico, even the open source Calico supports Windows. And we also support some totally weird data planes like the BPP from Cisco that was contributed by Cisco in the open source. Uh, I'm not sure how many uh, people in the audience know what the BPP is, but it's kind of like a fancy, fast user space networking by Cisco. So if you want to do blazingly fast networking in your cluster and go beyond what the standard Linux would offer you, then Calico is the choice. Yeah, because we don't have eBPF and a lot of the Linux networking concepts on Windows. So that's a good point, is that when you're trying to get those two operating systems together, and surprisingly, there's almost always at least one person it's like, yeah, I'm doing a Windows containers on Windows servers. And uh, I don't claim to be the world's Windows container expert, but I did spend 20 years on the Windows side of the house. So I sympathize and always want to help those people out because Windows containers and the Windows side doesn't always get a lot of attention. You know, it's, we always just assume Linux nowadays, but it's still a thing and people still use it. In fact, my main home lab is actually still running on a Windows server 2023. So I stay relevant in that topic. So that's a good point. Yeah, we, so this is all the strengths. Yeah. That's one of the strengths that you can have a mixed environment and go with that. Yeah. And eBPF gets a lot of the attention nowadays. You know, I think we've had multiple episodes on eBPF this last year. Mm -hmm. Liz Rice has been on the show, one of the authors of an eBPF book. And we talk about those low level concepts a lot. Really, I mean, one of the questions that people have is they ask about eBPF as if it's something that we all use. And I kind of see of it as more of an underlining 
tool chain difference and how it's giving advantages to our tools in terms of performance. And we've got new tools that come out, new capabilities we didn't have before because they were just going to be too slow or impossible before eBPF. But to a lot of those people out there, I consider myself sort of a user, not a developer of kernel stuff. I'm a user of the tools that come out of that. So to me, eBPF, it's really cool tech, but it's like, if it's the same thing as if someone announced that there's a new feature in Linux kernel, I'm not, I'm going to be the consumer of tools that use it, not someone who's going to interact with it directly. How would you describe like that? I mean, I see eBPF all over the website, so I'm assuming there's lots of tie-ins through eBPF for Calico. Do you have any comments on that? Yeah, so first of all, I would like to mention that Calico supports two modes on Linux. We can run in eBPF mode, which is the newer mode, but historically, because if, even before there was any eBPF or meaningful eBPF, we were using IP tables and we still have those two modes. So a user can pick the tool and you are totally right that users shouldn't be that much aware of what the data plane underneath is. Calico is more about on top of it, kind of like a control plane of the data plane. So uh, you pick the data plane that suits your performance needs and each of those tools offers you uh, something a little bit different. So as I said, the DPDK or VPP gives you blazingly fast networking, faster than eBPF. eBPF gives you some really cool things you can do beyond standard Kubernetes. IP tables give you the Kubernetes you get off the shelf and Calico works in all those <laughs> environments. Yeah, that's cool. The, I mean, if, I guess if someone had to run, you know, I don't know what kernel, the, sort of the modern eBPF was finally in, but if you're still on a two kernel or something, I, you know, you need that IP table support still. And, and uh, so lots of uh, old kernels out in the wild to use. Like if you install AKS, uh, I'm not sure what version, I think Mali support is 125, 5.15 version of the kernel. But we definitely have customers that use Ubuntu 18.04 with 5.4 kernel. And that's kind of like the oldest kernel we support with eBPF, but we're definitely missing some features which are introduced later on. So there are, I don't want to say legacy environments, but there are older environments for good reasons because they were stable and Calico can run in those environments. Yeah, we have a question. In a production environment, do you suggest Calico or WeaveNet? I mean, I'm just going to give you my two cents. I mean, WeaveNet is simple and cool, but I have a feeling that, that Calico does a lot more. So I would say it really depends on your, what are your requirements, right? A lot of times people, if they're new to Kubernetes, they don't know what they need yet. So you might start simple. And then as you grow and your needs grow and your, the complexity grows and you maybe need something else, you try a more advanced networking. That's the cool thing here that Kubernetes enables for us is that we're able to, we're able to swap components, maybe not on a running cluster. <laughs> but we're able to swap components without having to retool everything. That's, it's not literally plug and play Kubernetes, but mm -hmm. it does allow us to swap things out without it being hard coded into our environments or into our YAML. Sometimes you might have to change a little bit of YAML, especially when it comes to data storage or networking. But I find that, you know, this is better than we ever had. I mean, before we had Kubernetes, the networking provider you got was the one that you got. Like that, whatever, if you were using a cloud or if you were using a, a custom solution that was sort of all, all in one, or if you were growing your own, right? If you're, you got the one that was implemented first and that was it, you weren't changing anything later on. So it's really cool now that we can talk about these, we can talk about Calico. And if you didn't even learn about Calico when you first learned Kubernetes, and maybe you're, maybe you sort of did the Kubernetes IO sort of standard stuff out of the box. You tried something easy like Weave or 
flannel or something like that. And then you, your needs grew and you suddenly need network policy. You need maybe encryption or you need, you know, we're going to get into all the features here in a minute. But if you needed more of that stuff, you can then build a new cluster, have all those things involved, swap your workloads, you know, sort of move your workloads over time. And now you're operating on a whole new data play and a whole new set of capabilities. That's why we're here. Yeah, the cool thing about Calico is that you don't even have to set up a new cluster, right? So if you're newbie to Kubernetes and you set up your cluster, say you pick, I don't know, AWS EKS, which is managed, it comes with its own CNI, you get the NAS working out of the box, you don't get any, any policies and that stuff. And that someday you just say, ah, I need policies. You just install Calico on top of that and you carry on, you just got the policies. Now, obviously, if you want to dive a little bit further and you want to change the networking and encryption and whatnot, then yeah, you would have to go with, say, Calico CNI and install a new cluster. But there's definitely multiple steps you can do before you dive into tweaking nanoseconds. That's good to know. See, I'm already learning stuff. As we were talking about, as we were talking about how you can make gradual steps, right? So you start with Calico, you pick your cluster. That, that would suit your needs, you pick your network provider, then eventually you will install Calico or some other kind of like a security component. With Calico, you can go further up, right? Uh, we were always providing the enterprise version, which had like a UI and more complex policies and more insights into your customer visibility and so on. But we also now have what's called Calico Cloud, where you can technically take your cluster and connect it to like our SaaS platform. And without actually changing much on your side, technically nothing is totally seamless. You can connect your cluster, your open source cluster to our, our UI and we will provide all the good stuff for you. Hey there, podcast listener. At this point in the live show, which this podcast comes from, we do a pretty detailed demo getting into a lot of the features and it didn't necessarily make sense to put this in an audio only podcast. So if you're interested more in the tool and how it functions, check out a link in the show note that will take you to the YouTube live that this comes from, and then you can get the full demo there. We're now going to jump back into the conversation after we're done with most of that demo. There is a question on, are there any docs on using Calico as a network overlay across a bunch of VMs? And, um, I actually thought about that and I was like, I did, that was an interesting idea. I didn't actually think about the fact that, is that one of the use cases is actually taking a bunch of VMs that maybe aren't on the same network and using an overlay? Like outside of outside Kubernetes? Of Kubernetes yeah. yeah. Yeah, Calico also supports external nodes. So you can have your Kubernetes cluster and you can also have your external nodes. Yeah, you can kind of build an overlay. It's a little bit more work because it's outside of Kubernetes, so it's a little bit more elaborate. And there are descriptions in the docs how to do that to answer the question. Yeah, and there was another question real quick on, let's see, it was saying it would be great to see Windows EBPF on data plane in the near future. Well, that's probably going to be up to Docker, I mean, up to oh, Microsoft, that's, right? <laughs> that's a hot topic, right? Yeah. So uh, EBPF is a Linux technology which made its way into Windows and it's definitely on our radar. And yeah, we can do some XDP stuff in, in Windows. So uh, as a part of EBPF that is very efficient and very, very useful for some like a DOS attack policies and prevention. And yeah, we can... It's in the prototype stage, but this is possible to do in Windows these days. 
Very cool. Oh. It's like the new frontier for Windows. Um, yeah, it's not, is, it's not called eBPF, though, is it? Is it called something else? I'm trying to remember. Uh, I think it's called eBPF. I is think it? it's okay. the same thing. Yeah, I, okay. I think you can take the same. Yeah, I'm not specifically working on that, so I only okay. have a secondhand knowledge of this, but you technically can take the eBPF binary, the eBPF programs, and run it on Windows, which is super wow. cool. Yeah, that is cool. <laughs> We've got a little bit of a similar question around service mesh. So I'm using I'm using service mesh Istio on in most cases. It provides my needs. So what's the Calico? Uh, basically, what does Calico do related to service mesh, or what does it have that maybe a service mesh wouldn't have? Yeah, these are two independent things, right? You can have service mesh in the same environment as Calico. Depends on what you what you need the mesh for, right? If it's uh, something like to simplify your workloads, simplify your policies, we can live and we can cooperate with service mesh. It really depends, right? If you say you're looking for just an encryption, you may not even need the mesh because Calico would provide you with encryption. It's like a whole bunch of components that you put in, into your cluster, right? So the question is much broader. It's what you right. need. <laughs> right. So uh, it struck me interesting. So, you know, I, I think I know what a thing is for. And then I come to this welcome page and it says image assurance, scan your container images and build at runtime with vulnerabilities and threats. So is that something that's built into Calico? Yeah, this is, a, this is an enterprise feature and you can get okay. it as a Calico cloud. And this is one of the coolest feature we have now. And essentially, before you deploy your workloads and before you put your images into your cloud environment, we can scan those images for possible vulnerabilities and give you warnings like this image may be not the safest image that you, you want to get and so on. So it's a very new feature and I would say one of the, one of the coolest after. Another one of the cool features we have is now like runtime security which we can really observe what the processes are doing and give you warnings about like, hey, this process is touching something that it should not be touching. And so the set of features is growing. So Calico is way, way, way more than just a CNI and just a networking provider. So w there's a lot going on in this interface, right? So for the cloud and enterprise versions that get this GUI, like you said, it's a lot of this is just really feeding an interface on top of what you get in the open source from the plane, the data plane itself. Is there anything else you'd like to dive into here while we're coming up with more questions to talk about? I think one of the cool things is yeah, the flow visualization. So you can totally get an insight in what components are talking to what other components and how much data is flowing through, whether something is somewhere dropped. And you can zoom in pretty detailed view of your networking. And this is what the users are mostly interested that it's not just that it works, but when things do not work, that's where the trouble comes, right? And you get the insights and you can actually troubleshoot your environment and see like, hey, this component is talking to something it shouldn't talk, or actually this component is trying to talk to something that uh, it should talk to, but my policies disable that. So I can get like a precise information right away. Cool, I actually just realized we missed a question. From a security perspective, for a production-ready environment, how important is it, is it to have Kubernetes control plane completely private, like GKE compared to just having private nodes, but public endpoints of the master? It's an interesting question. Yeah, I think it comes to the scale of the your organization. Like if you do not want to worry about making some security holes, you probably want to have like a managed environment. 
But the moment you are more confident and also your needs are beyond what you can get from managed environments, then you go with something that, that you set up yourself. But that is also comes with the risk that you make a mistake, right? So I think that really depends on the skills. And the cool thing is that for entry-level users, uh, you can start with something super simple and secure, and your control plane is kind of outside of your application. As you grow and you want like bells and whistles, then you build more complex environments. Yeah, I think in, I think you're right. Like like a lot of this stuff, you start simple and you grow to complexity, right? You don't want to have to start with a really complex. I think that's one challenge of a lot of this stuff. I sort of get this is like a soapbox moment for me. Is I've been doing production talks at conferences for years. And we keep relearning the same lessons for the last 50 years. And one of them is you shouldn't be doing too much new stuff all at the same time. And with Kubernetes, we get so much shiny, right? We're talking about this super advanced CNI that's got all these wonderful interfaces in the GUI and has lots of stuff going on in the back end, helps you troubleshoot, helps you deploy, helps you secure. And then- Do you remember the Kubernetes hardware? (laughs) Yes, (laughs) which is still around. So yeah. we also have the Calico the hard way. Ooh. <laughs> so you can definitely go the hard way, but don't yeah. go the hard way if you don't need to. Good for learning. But <laughs> I think that GKE and others are, it's a great point of, one, it's great that you even think in GKE or AKS or, or, or what's the Azure one? I always forget the Azure name. All these different environments and that they're set up for Kubernetes, typically you're not managing the control plane, which is great. We want you to do that. I don't recommend unless you've got years of Kubernetes skills already, to start rolling your own control plane using kubeadmin or other tools. That's generally not the way we want you to go because that requires you to be really knowledgeable about every little step. And that there's a reason we have almost 100 distributions of Kubernetes now. It's because they're making it easier for you. So yeah, using GKE, that's a great start. And you just really want to make sure that you're following all their best practices for how to implement that in production. If they recommend you do stuff like not making the Kubernetes endpoint public for the API, which is always a good recommendation. Don't do that, right? You don't need that API to be public. Put it behind a, a VPN or a private node that you can only access through a number of tools out there, including, let's see, Teleport, Tailscale. I think there's a new one that's kind of playing the space called Infra. We had Infra on the show last year. We've had Teleport on the show. So look at that stuff and make sure that you're not making it too complicated too fast. Keep it simple. You know, add something like Calico to your networking, but you don't necessarily have to do all the things in Calico. Like you don't have to light up and do everything that it does. At first, you can try to keep it small. And like most people don't need to start out with a service mesh. It's just a thing that you maybe don't need until you realize you need it. And you'll know when you need it because you can't do things like mutual TLS between all your apps or whatever. And you'll need something like that feature. Are there, getting back to that service mesh question, are there things in Calico that would qualify as service mesh features that you're just sort of throwing in there? I don't actually know. Yeah, we, we're not focused on providing service mesh features at the moment, definitely not in open source Calico, mm-hmm. but we allow like L7 policies, application level policies, and that stuff we can integrate with meshes. And I think that's the added feature of Calico here that you can have your mesh and then you can do like policies yeah. in your mesh. And, but I saw mentioned in there talking about ingress, is that more at the like network policy level or is this something that's actually getting into proxies or anything like that? I was just curious. What do you mean exactly? So I saw in the interface, it was talking about ingress, egress. So right. 
to, that's more at a networking level. That's like that sound. Those are terms we talk, right, we talk right. about. Right. Oh, but you mean the ingress egress of the policies, right? Okay. Yeah. So uh, network policy uh, ingress. So yeah, you have that. You have you can do it on the application level, and we also provide like ingress or ingress security for for the external external traffic. This is where the Calico goes beyond what the Kubernetes do on their own. Like Kubernetes have their own policy kind of model, which is pod only. And we go beyond that. The Calico has its own policy model, which is compatible with the Kubernetes model. But we go beyond that and we can provide also security on the node level, on the ingress into your cluster. And yeah, much, much richer. And here is one of the another benefit of Calico because it provides you more than you would get with like regular Kubernetes. And we can also go beyond what you get with some managed Kubernetes, right? There are some managed installations and they provide you with policies, but only the Kubernetes policies. So if you install Calico, then right. that's a good, you get yeah, it's a good point you made on the pods, on the pod security, not specifically pod security policies. I almost said that, but more of a pod centric model. And do you have like an example with the shop, with the uh, Google shop on anything that might help us understand maybe what Calico does beyond just the pod security? Yeah, imagine that uh, someone is trying to uh, like DOS your cluster, right? You have a bunch of uh, public APIs and someone is trying to DOS your cluster on that public API. Calico can install a policy that will drop all that DOS traffic or process DOS traffic before it enters the node rather than letting all this stuff go through your cluster and maybe dropping it later on. Uh, that's also where the XDP policies uh, in the eBPF data plane and in Windows come in very handy because you drop it as soon as you can rather than let the attacker pollute your cluster. Do we, ha do we have more in the GUI? Yeah, maybe it's just a super simple application. So I think mm -hmm. you get what you would expect with all a whole bunch of dashboards and the cool thing is that you get compliance reports. So if you need to audit your network, you get what's your activity of within the network. It's kind of all the good stuff that you would expect. That's really going much into the enterprise features of the product. And we probably want to stay closer to the, to the open source. You get very, very fine grained insight into your environment. Well, okay. So the part that you're working on, what are you, uh, what are you excited about? <laughs> Yeah, I'm uh, myself working on the eBPF data plane, right? Okay. Which is kind of the the future data plane, even though it's been here around for years and it's been advocated very much like that's the next best thing. So uh, it seems like it's the next best thing. It really gives us the opportunity to run in modern environments with web, web performance prime. And that's the exciting thing. So we have customers that have like 4,000 services, and they wouldn't be able to have such environments without the eBPF data plane. They have clusters that have a couple thousand nodes and more thousands of, of pods, and that's something that the IP tables wouldn't be able to handle. Look, looking at that scale, that that's pretty pretty exciting. Yeah, and it's also interesting to observe kind of like the divergence between the legacy environment. I don't want to use the legacy term, <laughs> the the Previous, regular environment, yeah. <laughs> the one that's still uh, fine and used everywhere. But uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the interesting mm. point, right? Like eBPF is so cool, but so many people still use the IP tables, and they are perfectly fine with that, right? Yeah. So yeah, Docker uh, still uses it. Docker out of the box uses IP tables. Like it's still yeah, it's. 
it, as much as long as it, like, it's great that you're saying that like as long as we've had eBPF for years now, we've been talking about this for years, and that you know it's not everywhere because it doesn't have to be. I was actually curious. I was going to ask you a question around, you know, a lot of the, what I see from a user of eBPF tooling is sort of the ability for tools to see stuff happening in real time and to create insights or awareness or traffic statistics or anything like that, that previously would have, you know, it would have been more of a debug mode because it would have affected kernel performance so, so much on before we had kernel plugins, essentially. Do you have, do you see anything like that with inside the Project Calico or in, inside the enterprise version? Is there something where you're actually even, able to light up those kind of features? Yeah, we use eBPF quite a bit for, even with the IP tables mode, when the network is done in IP tables mode, we use eBPF extensively to get statistics that you wouldn't be able to get mm -hmm. previously from the kernel itself. And that's great. That's well, eBPF works like champ. So we're trying to mix like tools where you can get the best out of the tool right. rather than to focus like on a single tool and at the same time, with the observability you mentioned that you get more from the kernel and more information, the other side of the coin is that it's quite dis disrupting, right? So people were used to use certain tools. Right. And we kind of the pushback or the feedback from users like, hey, I, I had this tool that was observing contract in my cluster and now it doesn't work anymore with the eBPF platform. It's like, yeah, you need uh, you need new tool and you need a new plugin and that stuff. So it is also disrupting. So people who were used how Linux kernels work and how the networking work and were able to debug new tools are also disrupting those things. And people have to learn more. And uh, we are trying to provide that, that knowledge and others who are around the eBPF technology. I think uh, the Isovalent has a fantastic documentation on all those things, but even our data plane and Selenium's data plane are different. So you kind of have mix and you have to learn multiple things. And then you have, so for many people, IP tables just good enough. <laughs> yeah. And you, I mean, yes, it's been going, like we've been using food. it for decades. So <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing, right? That mm -hmm. it's been battle hardened and it's been tested and, and debugged and you kind of don't get the, to the point where it doesn't work with a particular version of a kernel or a particular version of your driver because it's been around for a long time. Uh, on the other hand, the EVP is so flexible and we can do things that we couldn't do before. There are features in Calico that are provided with the eBPF data plane that you would not get with networking in like regular IP tables environment. Just the simplest thing is that if you have a node port and the traffic gets forward to a port on a different node, in the IP tables world, you lose the source IP of whoever was trying to connect, right? And Calico, that's one of the great things, can preserve that IP. And that allows you to have much more precise policies. So you know that, okay, it's that client in your outside world, outside of your cluster, and you want to allow that client to connect to your node port and you don't want other anyone else to connect. So this is what the new tools and new technologies allow you to do more than what you previously had. And that's exciting. The, the world of eBPF, it's what, again, like we talked about earlier, like, it's not so important that we, as users, because I'm going to come at this from the user side, not the engineer who's developing on EPPF, <laughs> EPPF. But it's like, from us, it's not so much important that we really understand all the in internals or the why of EBPF. I actually have, 
I think it's a, a Liz Rice forward, a book, a, a, a excerpt of one of her books on the EBPF. And it's been sitting on my desk for me to read, but I haven't had to read it yet because I've been using all of these tools that take advantage of EBPF without me having to know it. And it's not just networking. For those of you that haven't had a chance to watch any of the EBPF talks or any of my previous shows where we talk about it, there's probably tools that you're using or considering that already have, they're taking advantage of eBPF without you having to know about it. For example, Falco, which I'm a big fan of that, and Tracy, which is now an Aqua security tool. These are tools by other companies more on the security side of things, not networking, but they're able to see deeper into what's going on in the kernel, inspect things that are happening, see and catch things. And it's very low level because whenever I see the logs coming out of some of this stuff, it's cryptic. It's extremely low level programming stuff. So it's not gonna it's not gonna look like a log of connections coming out of like a web server or anything like that. It's gonna look way more detailed than that. And but it, the great thing is is what I'm seeing as a user is I get new tools that do things that I never could do before, like monitor all pods on a server for if anyone tries to launch a shell or you run an exec command into a shell because that oh. requires kernel a certain kernel totally uh, you yeah. as a user shouldn't really be concerned with the nuts and bolts of what's what's inside right and that's that's the cool thing about calico that the feedback we get from the users is that it just works and <laughs> that's one of <laughs> yeah. the nicest thing about the product when you just set it up and it works how it achieves the goal that should be secondary <laughs> well it looks like we've answered everyone's questions hopefully on on the chat i appreciate everyone for being here anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up no, I hope that people learn about Calico and the connection with that is more than just the networking plugin. And hopefully they had some fun and learned something nice. And if they have any more questions, then we have a user Slack where they can always approach us and get uh, give us feedback and ask questions and help with troubleshooting. And I hope that the product works for them very well. Yeah, in case you didn't know, you see, again, you can get the open source part on GitHub or you can find it on their website under Project Calico. And then I believe you can actually sign up for free if you want to try the cloud features. I think I'm correct in saying that you can sign up for free for that, for a free trial. That's correct, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, like you said, you want to get more involved as a Slack community. There's got, they got community resource on the website. So Thomas, I appreciate so much you being here. I'm excited to see what comes next, the next, you know, the next releases of Calico and the new features. Well, thanks everyone. Bye. Thanks for having me. Pleasure talking to you. Thanks so much for listening. And I'll see you in the next episode.